All right, folks, thanks so much for joining our episode of the Tribe Exchange today. We're very excited to have Dr. Douglas Jacoby on with us today. He, Doug, Douglas holds a degree from Duke University in History, an MTS from Harvard in New Testament, and a doctorate from Drew University in Christian Education. Uh, he also serves as an adjunct professor of theology at Lincoln Christian University and a professor of theology in Rock, at Rocky Mountain School of Theology and Ministry. Doug uh, has been an international teacher and uh, speaker for decades. He's been debating and teaching, uh, doing classes and preaching in over a hundred nations around the globe. Uh, he's also an accomplished author. I tried to add up how many books on his website and the scrolling just kept going. I lost count eventually, but there are many and uh, quite quite profound in his, uh, his, his authoring. Um, he, he's also just a, a treasure to our family of churches here for us, and uh, we're really just honored to have him uh, on the show with us. Douglas, thanks for being with us, and also... You're for welcome. Us. Good to see everybody. Good to see everybody. Douglas, man, you have, uh, you have left us for Scotland. Can you tell us, before we go into deep waters, uh, why that... Why, why do why I sense a deep Scotland. sense of betrayal? I go to Europe, you, from Europe to America, you go from America. Christian, you are a, you're a traveling man as well. Uh, <laughs> the map behind me is the, the British Isles, where I've lived twice before, but my wife is British. So yes, we thought, true. before we get too old, uh, my last five years before retirement age, not that we're going to retire, but the last five years before that time, we, we wanted to be back in the UK. And in the UK, Edinburgh is our favorite city. So we're relatively near a lot of family members, and we really like it here a lot, even more than Texas. Very cool. <laughs> That's fantastic. Texas isn't bad. Um, well, we're just really excited to have you on the show. We're going to jump into our, our conversation here in a minute, but I was hoping we could just start off to hear a little bit of your spiritual journey and kind of how you you went from seeking Jesus to, you know, international teacher and uh, author and professor. How did that journey happen for you? Well, it certainly wasn't planned. There was no map. Um, I started seeking God in my junior year of high school. And by the time I went off to university at Duke, I was looking pretty seriously. And I, I had been there about 24 hours when a couple guys knocked on my door and they invited me to a group discussion. So um, I became a Christian really just a few weeks after I turned 18. And eventually I, I moved, uh, I graduated, moved to Boston, which where there was a very exciting church and a great evangelistic emphasis. And I was able to join a, a church plant, a mission plant in London. And because London is a crossroads of the world, started getting connected kind of all over the world. And because in Europe, as you know, um, Christianity is, is much weaker um, culturally. Uh, Christian evidences became extremely important. And so I developed a lot of material to answer other people's questions and my own. And then I met people from other countries and sometimes I followed them back. So it, it kind of all emerged out of that, of living in Europe and uh, doing teaching. And I worked for church for 20 years. This is almost 20 years now independent, uh, but um, I just had a lot of great opportunities. 
So just, things just developed. I love to learn. I teach that a Christian is supposed to learn all his or her life long. This doesn't stop. Uh, it's very sad when I see older people making excuses that, you know, they're not even going to try uh, sure. because it's just good for us to to stay active. Yes. Very good. Cool. Well, one of the um, one of the things we're excited to unpack with you is uh, the topic of progressive Christianity, and um, and I know that that for for some of our listeners, that's something that they're they're very attuned to the topic of it. They're they're very keen to what's happening in the current of progressive Christianity. Uh, for others, they that's you know maybe a coined phrase that they've heard somewhere, but they're not really familiar with it. So, I uh, did a little bit of homework here before our talk and looked up two definitions. Uh, that I thought I would read. And then I'd love to just hear your you, kind of how you would define progressive Christianity. So this is this was actually interesting because uh, I just did a Google search of progressive Christianity and there's a progressivechristianity.org. Like there's a whole website that's well established to it. I had no idea. But this is how they define it. They say, progressive Christianity is an open, intelligent, and collaborative approach to the Christian tradition and the life and teachings of Jesus. And then I did, of course, what we all do, well, what I do at least, Wikipedia, right? Had to go to Wikipedia and find out. And so this is Wikipedia's uh, definition. Rep uh, progressive Christianity represents a postmodern theological approach. It developed out of the liberal Christianity era of modern, of modern era, uh, which was rooted in the Enlightenment thinking. Uh, it seeks to reform the faith via insights of postmodernism and reclaiming of truth beyond verifiable historic, historic and factual passages in the Bible by affirming the truths within the stories that may not have actually happened. So those are, those are some definitions out there. I, I'd love to hear how, how would you define this, this idea of progressive Christianity? Well, first, to say it is a very hot topic. Yeah. Uh, it has been for a little while, but it's like even this last week, I can't believe uh, how much material has come my way, how many questions have been asked. You know, the idea of being progressive, being open and intelligent and collaborative, that sounds great. You know, we need to be open-minded but not too open-minded. We, we don't want to let stuff come in that's nonsense. You know, not all, all ideas are equally valuable. Uh, and the idea of progress is good. I mean, it's an attempt to, uh, to connect with the world, uh, to that, that Christian, the Christian faith be relevant. That's a positive thing. But we have a guide for how to do that in the scriptures themselves. And um, I, I, I think that progressive Christianity is is a little too open uh, for a lot of ways. And I'm not questioning people's motives. Um, I did my doctorate at a school where this was definitely uh, taught. Um, I had several years of that. That was back in the 1990s. Uh, but the idea of connecting with culture and moving on and progressing, that's great. But we're not, we never progress beyond the gospel. So I, I just begin with some concerns. How much do you want me to say, Elias? Well, that you're doing great. It sounds it's very helpful. Yeah. Well, so um, that de definition you read from the Font of All Wisdom Wikipedia. All right. Oh, right. So it mentioned modernism and postmodernism. So modernism, think 19th century uh, confidence, uh, science, and technology will rescue us, and uh, we'll we'll figure out the world. We'll be able to make predictions. Things will be clear. Things get better and better. It's very optimistic. Postmodernism is born out of disillusionment, particularly in the 20th century, 
And this entails a radical skepticism, a doubt about truth claims, um, about authorities. Postmodern postmodernism emphasizes that all of us filter data uh, when we're moving towards a conclusion, and that's good. That's valuable because if we claim, if if we're not aware that we are subjective, no one's totally objective. Then we'll be arrogant. We'll make mistakes. So even postmodernism brings up some very important concerns. Uh, and yet both of these um, isms, postmodernism and modernism, are similar in a way because they're they're fairly dogmatic. The modernist thinks you can know for sure. When he or she reads the Bible, they think that the Bible means exactly what it says. You don't need to interpret it, which of course is an illusion and that's naive. But the postmodernist is maybe equally dogmatic in, in rejecting confident claims. Uh, and blithely unaware that there's a deep subjectivism even with po it, within postmodernism. Now, I've mentioned uh, skepticism about truth claims. In postmodernism, and even if you've never heard that term, it's, a, it's kind of the, the, the default philosophy, it seems, today of the university and the media and many institutions. Uh, truth claims, there's, there's not a truth, there are truths. So you have people saying, you know, my truth, or that's her truth. Sure. Uh, Stephen Colbert talks about thing, claims that are truthy, <laughs> like yeah. true, true, like really true. Uh, you know, I thought truth was a perfectly good word. Why did it have to be totally redefined? It's like yeah. in postmodernism, you have values instead of morality, instead of virtues and vices, that is right and wrong and sin. It's values. That's what you value. It may not be what I value. Mm. Where I thought sin and virtue, these are perfectly good words. Even the word value now has been kind of messed up. And of course, the word tolerance. Whereas uh, when I was young, when you were young, people still thought tolerance meant you tolerated someone, a person. You tolerated people. You tolerated someone with whom you disagreed. But now there's a false egalitarianism of ideas. You're thought ungracious, maybe unchristian, unless you validate everybody. No judging. I'm not judging. No judgment. We hear that phrase a lot. Uh, we'd want to offend somebody by saying right. we think you might be wrong on something, which itself, that's a, that, that, that attitude spills over into progressive Christianity. So there's almost like a, like a, a dogma against dogmas. Right. <laughs> yes, which is deeply yeah. ironic. Yeah, like and an intolerance. It's, it's, so the, yeah. you know, when someone says there's no absolute truth, except the absolute truth that there is no absolute truth. So, so it's self-refuting. So why? It, it, and I, you know, it makes sense. Okay, kind of post enlightenment, and and there's been an evolution of, of thought since then. It's kind of seeped in, but it does seem like it's accelerated. Um, in this last yes. season of our global community, certainly here in the West and, and in the U.S. particularly. Ah, yeah. um, wh why do you think some of that, I, those ideas um, are, are so quickly being adopted or, or married, maybe maybe not holistically adopted, but, but married to uh, the faith of many Christians right now? Why is, it, right. why is it taking off? There's a hybridization. Well, I mean, it's, it, maybe in part because it feels good. Uh, and if our enlightened common sense, our personal judgment, our feelings are so important, the individual is so important, then um, an ideology that affirms our right to seek happiness is going to be popular. But this isn't new. I mean, I'm, 
I don't know how far back we, we, we could go. I mean, certainly in the 60s and 70s, you have the sexual and homosexual revolutions. You have the revolution in drugs and uh, kind of the redefinition of the family. But we could go back a lot further than that. I sure. mean, things oh, were absolutely. getting very yeah. loose in the 1890s, and we could go fur further back than that. But I, I think the, um, the, the, the sexual, the moral revolutions starting in the 60s, especially, um, have led to legislation, changes in law, changes in perception. And after decades of, of kind of uh, mirroring and uh, coloring uh, these issues in the media, it's become almost strange to think any differently. I, I had another thought, and that's virtual reality. Now, when virtual reality is getting so good, it is almost hard to know the difference. And some films have that kind of a theme. Sure. Wow, do I choose the virtual world or the real world, which is kind of boring compared to it. So that kind of seems to resonate with the idea of truths. It's your reality. Now, I'm, I will say, yeah, that's your experience, or this seems real to you. I don't use phrases like that's your reality or that's your truth. Right. Because that, to me, is actually nonsensical. I mean, um, you know, one other thought I had, I, I have to say, say this. I would say we have perfectly good words like truth and values and tolerance. But now, it, in uh, postmodernism and in progressive Christianity, a lot of words require the suffix phobia. Okay? So, right. obviously, we have homophobia, uh, and you have xenophobia, and there are other phobias. The truth is, um, phobia is a fear. Just because you disagree with something doesn't mean you're afraid of it. There are a lot of things I don't really agree with, but I, I'm not afraid. I just disagree. And there's perfectly good Greek word for disagreement. I mean, there's the word diaphora in ancient Greek. You don't have to say phobia, but it's, it's almost like preemptively taking the high ground and implying that someone has a psychological issue if they can't get over it and they're afraid and they freak out because someone is different. And I think that's actually quite unfair uh, because, yeah, some people are afraid of foreigners, but it's, yeah, and that's not a good thing. And, and I think we need to be loving and affirming to all people, including homosexuals and anyone else. Uh, but sometimes the vocabulary that is, um, that's uh, promoted uh, also, I think, strengthens uh, this acceleration that you mentioned. And that almost becomes and the dogma, right? Like the dogma becomes... If there's any the norm, the cultural norm, yeah. then it, you know immediately the response must be, you have to. It's in, it's un, it's not tolerable, and it must be affirmed, right? The 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 right. We're affirmed. we're losing our way, and we want to be affirmed, not rejected. We want mm -hmm. to be accepted, and if we're thought to be narrow, or bigoted, right. prejudiced, that's a really bad thing. It seems to bother people a lot more than at any any time in history before. Yeah, and of course we shouldn't be narrow or bigoted or prejudiced, uh, but we need to have some guts. Just because you sure disagree it, with something, I'm sure. Even yeah. even that, maybe there's an acceleration. Maybe there's because I think sort of um, there's a you know a culture become becomes more um, standardized across the globe because of the massive. Uh, information revolution, right? So uh, it's yes. every every piece of the world is connected, right. and any movement, any sentiment, just travels much faster than ever before in history. And yet, at the same time, what you what you mentioned before is that this is not a new thing, right? Like I can even argue. I think I was in Florence like two years ago, and uh, I would read on it, and and 
and watched some documentaries and I was in the midst of this of this place that changed the world. Right. Like you're in Florence and you go, the Renaissance was the cradle of the Renaissance and things that happened here were dr just dramatically, drastically, tectonic shift level changes in perception and culture and acceptance and aesthetics, and architecture, all of them, you name it, right? Sexuality as well, by the way, right? Yeah. Uh, that the rediscovery of the, of the old Greek, um, you know, sort of um, uh, the cult of the body, you know, that came from there, all those things. Um, and so... I guess the reason I'm, I'm I'm saying those things is because it, when you're in a you know when you when you don't look beyond your historic context, that's the generational twenty thirty years, right? Right. And you don't understand, and you don't research sort of perspective. Um, I think one of the things that could be easily um, grasped as a as a position is is progressive is this and the progress has taken us this far therefore this is the affirmed right set of let's say moral values right um and yet almost all of those moral values that we see affirmed now and we see this is 2021 have been affirmed and standardized in previous generations and centuries and even millennia sure Right. So uh, people act as though this is new or what happened or, or these laws have yeah. changed. This is not new. I no, mean, it, no, it's every not. development has antecedents. I'm, and in the lifetime of uh, our lifetime, our parents, our grandparents, things have been changing rapidly, but it's certainly not brand new. Yeah. You know, well, I've actually heard a, a parallel from a guy named Mark Sayers. He, he drew a parallel to even first century Gnosticism. Right, kind of the the truth within you, uh, seeking you know no longer organized religion, but a spirituality that is enlightened, that's leading you to the divine self that you will become. That that those are same messages that we're getting, you know, two thousand years later, just packaged in a different way, essentially. It's the New Age movement. Right. Um, yes, that's correct. Which exactly has been is. gaining ground since the late eighteen hundreds, and now it's, I mean. Gnosticism has come back as Gnosticism as well as in the New Age movement. Sure, oh, this absolutely. caused yeah. huge problems in the church, in the especially in the second century. Um, a lot of people were sucked into it. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I was reading um, some early father um, testimonies and letters and things like that, and there's this one. Um, I I don't have it handy, unfortunately, but there's this one letter that was that was addressing the norms of the time and uh, this gentleman who to my shame I don't, I don't remember who it was was listing the nor the moral norms of the time and most of i mean half of them were are are the things that people are fighting for as you know sort of this modern new thing and they were established completely established at the time as the norm in several cultures, like Greek and Roman, for example. And then there's another whole slew, whole, uh, whole list of um, norms, things that were considered normal, you know, um, like, you know, sex with boys, right? Pedophilia, what's right, called pedophilia. Right. It's the love, it's actually, it, so the actu it's, a, it's a dirty word now, and it's a no-no, but it was completely accepted for centuries. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, some of the Greek philosophers, we... 
uh, might sort of uh, appeal to, they were practicing that very openly and it was a normal thing, right? Um, Socrates, for example. <laughs> Socrates, yeah. yes. Uh, notably, was a lover of, 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 of boys. So, um, so it's fascinating. One of the things that I'm, I'm curious about your take is this, is, okay, so there's a list of of moral choices, standards, things that people find acceptable and unacceptable. And that early author was listing those things. And I go, what struck me as fascinating is that, okay, so even then there was a, there was a list of things that were widely acceptable and thought this is progressive, this is modern, this is enlightened, this, and this is intellectually advanced. Um, and the author was obviously saying, but the way of Jesus is different. These are the things that we reject mm -hmm. because of scripture. So it's almost like even at the time, some Christian standards of, you know, some things that we, we, derive, we pull from the Bible that we feel like we interpret from the Bible about the world seemed backwards even 2000 years ago, right? That's right. And yet, so how do you, do you feel like it's, it, this is accurate? How, how, what would you say about that? I think it is. The ancient world, the pagan world, the world of Mediterranean Greco-Roman culture uh, was remarkably similar to our modern world. You know, we're, we're guilty of the, you know, the chronological snobbery. We think we're so advanced or we got this idea for the first time, but it's, it goes way back. What you're <laughs> like referring to, I think like I'm going to write that down. Chronological, chronological snobbery. snobbery. Yes. I didn't make it up. Um, Origen, when he spoke to Celsus, that, well, this is third century, they, they had a discussion that reminds me of that. Tertullian, the lawyer in North, North Africa, became a Christian, late second century, mid to late second century, uh, maybe some others, but yeah, uh, this is not new. And, and, and we should know that even just from the New Testament. You read, just say Romans chapter one, it lists a lot of the things that were typical of the ancient world. They weren't saying, Paul the Apostle is not saying, watch out in centuries to come or maybe in 2,000 years, don't get swept up into this. No, this was what was going on at the time. And so Correct. when people say the Bible is not relevant, then I just think they're, they haven't read the Bible and they don't know much about the ancient world. So they don't know Bible or history or they would see the incredible match, not only back then, but also today. Yeah. You know, Doug, you, you um, I think part of why this topic resonates for me personally is I, my day in and day out, my week, my vocation is wrapped around a community of Christians. Uh, and, and that's my closest network. It's, um, it's who I spend the most of my time with. And, and yet I'm, I'm seeing some of the, the, the pull, right? Uh, there was one uh, talk that you gave where you said, you know, progressivism is a failure to resolve the tension between the attraction to the world and the resistance of the world. And that, that there's that mm. tension as, as followers of Jesus, kind of like you talked about just a minute. There's always been a narrow way, which now maybe seems, you know, too narrow to a, to a relevant truth society. Um, but, but I guess... Why is that? Why? What are, what are some of the underlying ingredients that, that attract us as followers of Jesus to some of these, these other narratives? That Whether they were first century narratives or 21st century narratives, what, what is it about us? Well, of course, there's a strong individualism I mentioned before that runs through progressive Christianity. So it easily becomes all about me. Mm. And that can be attractive. People usually would rather talk about themselves than talk about you. Uh, that's just the way people are. Uh, it, there's a selectivity. Um, we, uh, 
we like a menu. We don't like to be told what to order if we're at a restaurant. But, you know, today, uh, we, we it's want a spiritual salad soup. bar. Yeah, it's a spiritual salad bar, right? Second Timothy chapter four, that kind of idea. Uh, and surely, progressive people—they're reading things. It's not just they're, they're reading of current events in history that's selected. The reading of the Bible is very selective. I like the way Daniel McCoy of Renew. Uh, renew.org puts it can i just give a quote here sure. at the end end of the day daniel says it's a question of which surgeon we should trust with the knife hmm. god's word is a double-edged sword that penetrates to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow hebrews 4 or do i trust in my own ability to cut and paste picking and choosing until the bible's claims troubled me no more so it's that kind of sense that i'm entitled to choose no one should force me or limit my options and they're also i think it's another thing that's very attractive is anything that gets us more into the bible progressive christianity does say let's look at these texts and let's ask some probing questions because most people read so little bible and i'm i'm talking about churchgoers right uh most people read so little bible uh when they're pointed to certain text and then they're given a different way to look at it and it resonates somehow they get excited even though the method is crazy i can talk i can explain more about that if you want but um yeah i, I think the what progressives are doing with the scriptures uh fascinates people yeah i, I would love to for you to unpack that a little bit because i think there is a there's kind of a commerce of ideas that are happening between the scriptures and you know, other frameworks, whether they're political theories or whatever, that are, there's becoming a, a, we'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we'll, this is now how this, in theory, looks in practice. And what, it quickly goes from just, you know, kind of pulling on the, the heart chords and, and the sincerity and authenticity of people to, to want to see things differently or to want to have insight or to want to grow in there to, okay, now we can actually put some things into practice. Um, and we're seeing that, right? We're seeing that even in the church, whether it's deconstructivism, right? It's it's starting to kind of have, have an impact. Um, I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit, please. There, there, there are a lot of words like deconstructionism, which comes from postmodern philosophy, Jacques Derrida. Uh, and this is decades old. Again, it's, it's nothing new. Intersectionality is a newer term. But one I like is intertextuality. Intertextuality is reading between the lines, like the text, enter uh, between. So you're reading between the lines. So when, if you read the Israelites taking over the promised land in the book of Joshua, read between the lines, whose voice is being suppressed? You're not hearing from the Canaanites. What mm -hmm. if they wrote the history of Israel coming into the conquest? And so there's an implication, oh, right. there's another side, or maybe even who's to know who's right? Maybe they're both right, maybe they're both wrong. And this leads to radical skepticism. Uh, you you read between the lines because the the winners write the history books. Well, right. of course, that's that's a valid point. And history books are often skewed. And I read a lot of history and I have no problem with that caution but the implication is you can never really know because it's the powerful who determine the narrative and wait till the underdog gets power, then it'll be a different narrative. And well, that I don't think that really follows. And it, it, it reduces truth, philosophy, religion, just to brute power. 
to mm. politics, politics, which is the management of power. And we're seeing that more and more people thinking, oh, that's the way politics is the way. Right. Uh, and that they're not they're not aware that that uh, the Bible says we we don't fight with the weapons of the world. We've rejected uh, the, the methods of politics. And I, I should clarify, I'm talking about politics at the higher level, not necessarily president of your student council or your homeowners association, but the higher up, the harder it is to be clean. And politics relies ultimately on coercion because we're going to enact laws or enforce laws to force people to do what we want them to do. There's coercion, there's slander, misrepresentation, oversimplification of complex ideas, leaving the wrong impression. Uh, it's, it's dirty, um, it's disgusting. Um, and that kind of politics, Christians should have nothing to do with. Yeah. And it's a very dirty game. We need to be careful. It's not that we shouldn't uh, speak or, or, or be supportive or show solidarity, but be careful um, who your bedfellow is. Well, and I think that's a really even-handed way to approach the idea of progressivism, right? Because there can be a, there's a tendency to kind of think of it with, you know, to marry it with the liberal progressive movement. And, and certainly there's, there's an appeal to that in progressive Christianity, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but there's also the other side of it, right, which is uh, the whole spectrum of politics, which whether you're right, center, left, or whatever, there is a, there's a nature of progressivism that is, um, that is a, you know, kind of adopting politics as I think Leslie Newbegin said, you know, would be the new religion, right, of the West, right? Yeah. We'd have political religions. And, and politics are Within our political world today, we have, um, you know, preachers and worship services and dogmas and conversion stories and narratives of, of the utopian future that one day will be. Um, it, there's, it's all, it's become a religion, right? And so, and we see that too. Uh, again, regardless of the side of the aisle that you're on, we see very much, again, kind of this this marriage of 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 a framework and an allegiance even to to authorities uh, with the Christian yeah and so. equating a political party whatever country you're in equating a political party with authentic Christianity is that's a big mistake hmm. I mean that it just it doesn't exist most parties agree on far more than they differ on and they agree that we want power, we want control, we want to keep it once we get it. Uh, we want the good life. It's never about the pursuit of holiness. <laughs> right. It's always about rights, pursuit of happiness, and me. And and really, from a European perspective, because I'm you know obviously thousands of miles away from you, uh, both of you in Austin, Texas, uh, the two major parties in the U.S. don't really look that different. And may, that may sound crazy, but from yeah. my perspective, they're not that different. Yeah. The, um, there was a, uh, I, I want to run this, uh, I, just recently, I, I was reading this um, um, this piece from 1896 by Leo Tolstoy. Ah. He, so, he wrote, he, so he wrote a letter um, to a friend, of, a friend of his, and then it was published in London much later. And then title uh, in London when it was published, it was called uh, A Letter to Russian Liberals. And uh, he sort of deals with that. He basically deals with this. He sees it from the perspective of power that, you know, um, anything that has to do with politics has to do with power. 
So the two approaches he, he names as something that frustrates him are exactly the two approaches that we see. And he basically says, look, the, the first one is the revolutionaries who want to take power, and that requires force. And if that requires force, it means that it's going to require force to keep stay in power, which will basically you know, deny the whole idea of making things, things better. And the other is this negotiation, sort of attrition, uh, the war of attrition, political activism that essentially uh, gives concessions and compromises in, for incremental day-by-day -day progress, you know, as a political mm. struggle. And he, and he basically says, this is, uh, he was frustrated, he was basically commenting on the state of the world, and he could have been speaking in 2021. <laughs> he basically says, this is wrong because of the use of force, right? The revolution part, you know? Right. The upending of everything and the force to keep it. This is wrong. And he says, this is wrong, the other side, because you compromise. You are negotiating with, with a power and you're compromising all the time. Goes, right. What I say is that we should live a, a, a life of love and adding value to people's lives and not compromise. And if enough people do it, that produces change. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is this guy, Tolstoy wrote this in 1896 and he could have been speaking to us. Right. Now, you were reading him in the original Russian, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, because you're, that's your power. But he was proved right. I mean, you had the, I mean, after the revolution, 1917, or just go further east into China, and after 1911, his words are borne out powerfully, and they are. Um, whereas power, the, the power that Jesus represents and the power the New Testament talks about is not political power. It's resurrection power. It, rather, weakness is exalted. You could see the opponents of the apostles exalted position and honor and being politically correct. And uh, it was really all about them, their power. And Paul says, no, it's weakness. It's our willingness to suffer. This is the mark of true leadership. It's right. not our power, our influence, um, our accolades. Uh, it's very hard. I, I just wish people would read the New Testament. Right. I wish Christians would read the New Testament and not just read odd verses here and there, but read entire books, read all of the second Corinthians. And you'll see that, wow, this is, there's a very different understanding of power uh, between Paul and his opponents who are destabilizing the Christian community. You know, I'm, I'm reading through the um, Sermon on the Mount with my boys. I have four young boys and we do these morning devotionals, you know, and we, we take little chunks of the Sermon on the Mount at a time. And we're in Matthew 7 now. And we're, we read uh, yesterday, uh, sorry, Saturday, about um, about the good trees and the bad trees, right? And, and the good fruit and the bad fruit. And they're very curious. Okay, well, you know, because these bad trees are going to get thrown into the fire and they don't want to have that happen. And they're, well, what, how do you determine if you're a bad tree or a good tree? And, you know, what is, and, uh, and my wife kind of from the kitchen, she said, well, the, the you, you can tell by how they treat people. Mm. What, is, what is born of their relationships? And, uh, and I think this is what's, you know, uh, what's clear to me in any kind of um, political conversation is that no side is the kingdom of heaven as long as there's the, the demoralizing and the judgment and the the vitriol that's coming towards other people, other humans, right? Uh, it just, it, it then ceases to be of the kingdom of God, right? Uh, but 
there are hints within each narrative of of how you know how how you treat people and 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 whether it's progressive or it's conservative there is a there's an appeal to i think a, a sincere desire to want better for yourself and for others in your community your city your country whatever um how do we how, what would be your advice to, to those who are to us who are, who are swimming in that culture right where there's there's a little bit of truth um, it's it's drawing it's attractive but ultimately what we see borne out is is not the kingdom um, how do we care how do we get involved where it matters to us where we see issues that matter I mean 2020 had a lot of issues that came up for people uh, around social justice, around race, around politics, immigration, where there was, there was a real sincerity to care for the other. Um, but it's married to all this other stuff that at, at the end of the day, the fruit is really, it's not of the kingdom. So how do we, how do we navigate some of that? I think your, your kids are very fortunate to have you as a father. Uh, what you're sharing for Somewhere on the Mount is really great. Um, yeah, how we treat other people says an awful lot about who we think we are in the sight of God. Uh, you know, he, he's God. Uh, I have a few ideas, of course, uh, but you, know, you mentioned someone on the mountain. I mean, how, do we, how do we treat enemies? Matthew 5, 38 okay. to 48. Uh, this is that advice, along with what Paul says about enemies in Romans 12, is roundly rejected by every political party in my native country, the US, that I know of. They all reject that. Yeah. They say it's unrealistic, we're not going there. One thing I would say is uh, read both sides. I, I read things written by people who I wouldn't agree with because they're atheists, but they're making some very good points about justice, say, mm -hmm. or maybe a, a radical feminist. Maybe I don't buy what she says all the way, but the book has some really great material. When I recommend a book to someone, it's not because I agree with everything in the book. It's because that'll make us think. But the problem is people, they just want to read one kind of book instead of both sides. Most people don't have the time or the energy, perhaps. Uh, so I have to be careful who I recommend books to. Asking the question, where does this lead? Now, that's that's not quite connected. Like I got it. I've been in a lot of trouble because I recommended um, Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility. Yes, it's all about power. And it, if she got her way, I'm not sure the world would be better. But she made so many great points. I think it's a great book. But still, I would ask, if power was given to people with this agenda, where would it lead? Right. And where has it led historically? Right. And then uh, I only have one other thought. That's, again, not to judge people's uh, motives. Right. Just assume that the person you disagree with has a good heart. Assume that they're not stupid because you think, well, if they disagree with me on something important, they're either stupid or they're evil. <laughs> they're not necessarily stupid and they're not necessarily evil. But if we can teach the principles of scripture, uh, I think we can move together uh, to a healthy place. So it's about grace. It's beautiful. Hmm. I don't know what to add to that. I know that's a great. That might be where we land. I a, think you a know, long pause. Yes. Yes, that's a great, a great cap. I think to the conversation. I mean, we're all we're all in favor of justice, right? That's right. No one's against justice. We need to uh, practice justice and love mercy. Well, and, and, and walk you know, humbly with our God. 
Yeah, that's right. And, and I think all of it is pointing to, what I love what you said, it's pointing us back to Jesus as the key to interpreting the present, right? And that, um, and in, and in the first century followers and the apostles' teachings, they navigated a lot of the stuff that we're navigating. It's not new, uh, but, but we have to do our research. We have to read. We have to read the lines and not just in between the lines, right? Um, and, and ultimately going back to Jesus, who one of the things that we're really interested with this, this podcast even is that idea of the third space that Jesus he wasn't completely of the kingdom of earth and he wasn't only of the kingdom of heaven. He was bringing the two together and somewhere in the middle uh, is where Jesus lives. And how do we, how do we get there uh, is really the, the agenda, right? How do we live in that space? So that's a great phrase. The third space. Yeah. A third drive. A third drive. <laughs> but it's the already, but the not, the not yet. The, the future has come early. It's already dawned. That's right. We're that, not totally in the future. We're still, it's an overlapping of the ages. Yes. And that means we're always going to be somewhat challenged to find the, the balance, yeah. to, to know exactly what to do. Yeah. So we should act like, oh, no, we know exactly what to do. But if we'll right. take, take our cue from Jesus and from the scriptures, uh, certainly we'll, we'll have a better balance than we would if we just get blown by, you know, the, the, the whims of, of whatever is popular these days. Yeah. Well, Douglas, this has been a, a fantastic and very, uh, just very helpful conversation. I appreciate it. Where, where can our listeners find out more about uh, your work and what you're producing? Probably the easiest way is just visit my website. You can sign up for my weekly, my free weekly newsletter, which has biblical material. And that's uh, Douglas. Uh, it's my first name and my last name, .com. So you can see it on the screen, Douglas Jacoby, Douglas Jacoby.com. And just... Uh, sign up i've got about ten thousand, more than ten thousand pages there uh, I, wanna, I have I a podcast a that comes out three times a week uh, so Sorry, i want to recommend from my perspective of, uh, is that uh, please signed up um for the newsletter yeah um it's 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 very very relevant every single time um so uh just leave your email you won't regret it i promise sign up for the newsletter, yeah, newsletter and you get it in your inbox all that information here in our our post links and as well yeah great Douglas, thanks for being with us today. Uh, again, we'll have to do it again. It feels like we could go, uh, we could go for a long time on this conversation. I know we we kind of rounded out the end there, that, but uh, but there's always more to be said, and, and uh, we'd love to explore more. Thank you. I would love to visit you guys. Um, it's still illegal to take vacation travel. That's against the law in this country, but that will change, and we will see each other and. Uh, it'll be yes, great. We will. So th thank you. Yes, we will. Invitation. Great to great to meet you, Elias and Christian. Great to see you again, my friend. Love you, brother. Okay, love you.